1: Sin, by nature, is enslaving. It's just the nature of sin. And the more you indulge in it, the more controls
2: it has, and sin's control lingers. Thank you for taking the time to join Dr. Michael Youssef for Leading the Way. Dr. Youssef is the author of more than 50 life-changing books, including his recent bestseller, How to Read the Bible. Please do remember that Leading the Way has many ministry arms reaching across six continents and in 28 of the world's most spoken and most understood languages. Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way rely on the prayers and the generous gifts of God's people to continue reaching the lost with the grace of Jesus. Learn how you can stand with Dr. Youssef on the front lines of ministry. Call 800 337 5323 or online at ltw.org Now in just a moment, Dr. Youssef guides you to an understanding of what the Bible has to say about sexual sin and experiencing a godly marriage. And don't worry, nothing inappropriate will be said, only the truth from God's Word. Join me now in listening to the next message in Dr. Youssef's series Healthy Living in a Sick World.
1: Sexual sin, Paul said, perverts God's plan and God's purpose for the body. For the Christian believer, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Temple is a building. Hosts the presence of God so that he might be worshipped alone. The Christian body is where God dwells. The Christian body is where God resides. The Christian body is where God is honored. The Christian body is where God is revered. The Christian body is where the word of God is obeyed. And that is why, in verse 13, Paul explaining to them that their rationalization of sin is flawed. It's flawed. Here's how they rationalize sexual sin. Since the stomach is for food and food is for the stomach, therefore sex is like eating food for the body. Just as the stomach is made for food and the body is made for sex, any sex. Paul stops this foolish thinking dead in its track by saying that while food and the stomach have a a biological relationship— God one day is going to destroy both, but not so with the body itself, not the body of the believer. The body of the believer is designed by God so much more than just a biological function. Our bodies are not only designed to serve God in this life, but for all of eternity— Oh, to be sure, our bodies are going to be glorified bodies. They're going to be changed bodies. They're going to be resurrected bodies. They're going to be heavenly bodies. But nonetheless, they'll be our bodies, in which we'll serve God for all of eternity. Here, here in chapter 6, verses 15 to 18, it tells us that the believer's body is not only for the Lord in the future, for eternity, but here and now, in this age, in this life, in this time. Our bodies are spiritual temples where the Spirit of God resides. Therefore, it is inconsistent for the believer in whom the Spirit of God dwells to be engaged in any sexual activities other than heterosexual relationship in marriage between a husband and a wife, period. Now, but, No if, No. the culture said... No, Mr. So-and-so said, not the Reverend Smelfungus said. I don't care. The Bible is the absolute truth. Amen. Just because that gift of God, the gift of sex, has been given to us by God, has been perverted in our culture, we must not be afraid to talk about it in our homes, in our churches, because it is a gift of God. And once we explain to children and the next generation why is that gift given, then we will be able to fend all this perversion that is coming at us. After all, a fire in a fireplace on a cold night is absolutely delightful. Let that fire jump out of the fireplace. It will burn the house down. And it's the same with sexual gift. It is given for Marriage between husband and wife. That is why, believers, sexual bonds with any person other than your spouse is reprehensible. Why? Because it profanes Jesus Christ, who lives within us in our bodies, and with whom we are united. I know you hear this argument all the time in the media and television. You hear it all the time. My body is my body, and I can do whatever I want with it. According to verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that is absolutely not true for the believer. Your body is not your own. (laughs) Your body has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were not bought by some cash or, or, or some useless metals like silver and gold or some piece of real estate. No. You have been bought with the precious, priceless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question we might be asking the Apostle Paul today is this. How in the world shall we live a godly life in a godless world? How in the world are we going to live spiritually healthy life in a spiritually sick world. How in the world are we to live a chaste life in a sex-crazed world? And if you think we have a big problem, the Corinthians had a humongous problem. And I'm so thankful to the Lord that all these things have already been answered in the Word of God, so we don't have to struggle with them. Aren't you grateful? And Paul answers that question in chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. Their society, like ours, they were boasting about their freedom to commit sexual sins, all sexual sins and perversions and acts and fornication, adultery, homosexuality, polygamy, all kinds of sexual sins. They were bragging about it. Back then, there were four types of marriages. Just to give you a background so you understand specifically why Paul is saying what he's saying, four types of marriages— There was a marriage between slaves which was known as tent, companionship, where the slaves lived together at the whim of the master. They were separated at the whim of the master. Then there was a second type of marriage. The second type of marriage, which was common law marriage, this type of marriage was recognized after a man and a woman lived together for twelve months. The third type of marriage was when the father sold his daughter to a husband. But then there's the fourth type of marriage. That is the highest form of marriage, and was practiced by the patrician class, by the nobility. As a matter of fact, this type of marriage was adopted later by the Roman Catholic Church and was Christianized and modified to be a Christian marriage. In those marriage ceremony in that fourth type of marriage, that's among the noble people, it was both families involved in the arrangement of the marriage. A matron of honor uh, accompanied the bride, and a groomsman accompanied the groom. And there was exchange of vows. Uh, the bride wore a veil, and uh, they were given rings and wore in the third finger, and there was a wedding cake, and on and on and on. During the time of the Apostle Paul, divorce was so common and so rampant that it was not unusual for someone to have been married twenty times. Not among the nobles. Childish marriages were very common. Men and women lived their lives regardless of marriage vows. Now, I don't know about you, but it astounds me how much our Western civilization is now straining back to the first century immorality. After 2,000 years of Christian teaching, after 500 years of Reformation, after over 400 years of Western civilization that was based on the Scripture, we're going backward morally. Not only that, but some believers thought that to be single or a celibate is far more superior, spiritually speaking, that is. These people kind of say, oh, because I'm single, I'm, I'm superior to the married ones, in a moment, I'm going to explain all of that. <laughs> and so they discouraged marriage altogether. Others even went as far as to say that sex, even among marriage couples, is wrong, is sinful. You need to be given up. Talk about confusion. They were utterly confused. There was so much confusion on the subject that many Christians were perplexed. They were frustrated. Then they were asking the Apostle Paul, saying, "'Help!' <laughs> And here are the questions that they sent to the Apostle Paul to give them an answer, and he answers them in these verses. What do we do now that we have become believers living in this sex-crazed world? Should we stay together as husband and wife if we both become believers? Should we divorce if one spouse becomes a believer and the other one is not? Or should we get married at all just remain single. And that is why in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is saying, verse 1, now concerning the questions you sent me. That's how we know there were questions they are asking. So, he's, he's responding to them. He's answering them. There is no doubt in my mind that the apostle Paul, who drank deeply of the Old Testament, the Word of God, consulted the Holy Spirit as he began to give them the answers. Listen to it very carefully. He said, If you're a single person who's contented to be single, and you have the gift of celibacy, stay single. If you're married and you're both believers, stay married. If you're married to a non-believer, and you're happily married, and your non-believing spouse is very happy for you to continue in the faith, stay married. Don't Leave him or her. Fortley said, if you are married to an unbeliever and he or she wants to leave you because of your faith, let them go. Paul, like all faithful New Testament writers, listen carefully please, like all faithful New Testament writers, they all drank deeply, including our Lord Jesus himself who authored the Old Testament. They all drank deeply from the Old Testament. They did not teach we should be unhinged from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is like a house that does not have a roof. The New Testament is the roof that makes the house complete. Paul was thinking, goes back to Genesis chapter 2, where God, and same thing Jesus said in in Matthew 19, that God created them from the beginning, a man and a woman, not two men and not two women. God created them perfectly to fit in every way, anatomically, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to complement each other. He created them to fellowship, for companionship, for complementation of each other. From that time on, marriage is between a man and a woman, regardless of what the law of the land of any land said. It is partnership. And we give God glory. Give God glory, not me. Later in the New Testament, Paul takes the Old Testament concept where God presented himself as the husband of Israel, his people, his chosen people. And he lifts that concept from the Old Testament. And he applies it in the New Testament to the church, that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Beloved, this picture of Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride, should be mirrored in every Christian home. What does it mean? It means for husbands to be the initiators. They are to be initiators of love, of mercy, and of grace, just as Jesus initiated love to His church, the bride, to you and me, the believers. He initiated love. He initiated mercy. He initiated grace. And just as we, the believers, responded to His initiating of love, mercy, and grace so must the wife respond to her husband' loving initiation. Just as believers love, adore, and honor the Lord Jesus Christ, so must the wife learn to love, adore, and honor her husband. I want to stop here just for a moment and speak to young husbands and young wives. The old ones, is too late for you guys like me. <laughs> it's too late for us. But I want to speak to the young ones, and if I can contribute anything from the Word of God, not from me, from the Word of God. So let me start with the wives, because by the time I get to the husbands, I could be stoned to death. (laughs) So precious wives, do not beat your husband over the head, regardless of how much sometimes you want to. When you do that, you're doing something unnatural. Precious wives, listen to me. Hear me right on this one. God created men with an ego. And no matter what mama said or what grandmama said, that the way to the heart of man is his stomach, it is not. It's his ego. Please do not try to beat his ego out for him. That's God's job. (laughs) Let God take care of that. He does a better job. Do not try to put him down all the time. Certainly never in public. Young wives, I'm pleading with you. Take my advice to heart. Feed his ego, because that is the way God made him. And when your husband reaches out to you in love and tenderness and mercy, you must respond with love. How? By building him up by encouraging him in his initiating effort. Even in times when you want to say, don't touch me. Well, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Just explain to him how you love him, but just now physically you are unable to respond to his love. (laughs) Look at verses 3 and 5. 1 Corinthians 7. When Paul said a husband must fulfill his duties to his wife, and a wife fulfills her duty to her husband, he's talking about more than just sexual relationship. All, the totality of the relationship. But certainly the sexual relationship is a major part of it. I was counseling this man, and and he said to me, he said, isn't the Bible said uh, that, that a woman should be subservient to her husband? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Where do you get that subservient bit? It's in the Bible, I said, well, is that Ephesians thing? There's an Ephesians thing, says, I said, let me tell about the Ephesian thing. (laughs) The Ephesian thing never said subservient. The Bible never said subservient. That is a complete and utter lie from the pit of hell. Let me explain to you what submission is, because the Bible says submit one to another. Submission means that you, the wife, respond to his loving initiation. That's what it means. It means reacting positively to His initiation. It means building Him up as He lovingly approaches you. One last thing, then I'm going to zero in on the husbands. Ladies, don't worry. Don't be concerned about giving your husband a swollen head if you praise him. Did you get that? Don't worry about it. Now I'll have a word with young husbands. Guys, listen to me. Don't get bent out of shape and look for a way out when your wife does not respond to you. Don't deprive her of your affection when she does not know how to respond to you. Help her out. Keep on extending your arms of love. Keep on extending the arms of grace. Keep on extending the arms of mercy. Be patient with her. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, is being patient with you. And he's been patient with me. Your wife needs your explanation, your wife needs your understanding. So don't just clam up, don't just close up. Verse 5, don't deprive each other except by mutual consent. If you have a unique ministry opportunity, if you have a deep intercession, if you have a spiritual warfare time that you're doing prayer on behalf of someone or on behalf of your family or on behalf of yourself, that's fine. But both have to be in total agreement. Here's something I'm going to say, and probably I will not repeat very often, sex in marriage should not be used as a pretense for spiritual superiority. Oh, I'm more spiritual than you are. No. Sex in marriage must never be used as means of intimidation or manipulation of your spouse. If you do, you are manipulating God's gift in marriage. Because it is God's gift, and it's a wonderful gift. And God is not honored in that situation. Finally, look at verses 6 and 7. Paul is saying that if God has given you the gift of celibacy, rejoice in it. Don't feel the least bit inferior to those who are married— Being single as Paul was at that time of the writing of the epistle means that you have more time to serve, you have more time to study the Word, you have more time to minister to others. For we know from Acts 26, 10 that the Apostle Paul was married at some point because he was a voting member of the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish Supreme Court. And as a voting member, one of the qualifications is to be married, that you have to be married. And so either he became a widower Or his wife left him when he came to Christ. We don't know. At this point of his life, he was single. God gave him the grace to remain single and stay a celibate. But he never used this to tell others that everybody should follow me. No, no, no. That's where legalism comes in. He just said, if you want to be like me, that's fine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a fable There were two little teardrops floating along the river of life. One teardrop looked at the other and said, Who are you? That teardrop said, I am a teardrop from a a woman who loved a man and lost him. And then looked at the other teardrop and said, Who are you? Well, I am the teardrop from the woman who got him. Beloved, the Word of God to both single and married is that we both should be focusing on the return of Christ, not focusing on our discontentment, not so much on our earthly condition. Now, can I get an amen from both single and married?
2: Thank you for joining Dr. Michael Youssef or leading the Way, always practical, biblical words direct from the pages of God's Word. Make sure you join Dr. Michael Youssef once again next time. He's going to continue this timely series called Healthy Living in a Sick World. And listen, if what you heard today about Christian marriage has sparked some questions about what it really means to live as a Christian, won't you consider talking with a Leading the Way pastor or counselor? We've made it so easy to set up. You can speak over the phone or through messaging, whatever's more comfortable for you. Start by visiting ltw.org slash Jesus. Fill out the brief contact form, ltw.org slash Jesus. Dr. Youssef passionately proclaims uncompromising truth all around the world by means of audio, video, as well as technologies that reach people right where they live and play right where they work. And it's through partners just like you that millions are able to hear the gospel, experience discipleship through our team members and our partner churches. And when living in areas where being a Christian is dangerous, they can get help from leading the way through our local team members. So wouldn't you like to be a part of this life-changing ministry? Learn ways to stand with Dr. Youssef today. As a partner, you will be equipping teams all around the world, right there on the front lines of proclaiming, discipling, and helping men and women, boys and girls. If you'd like to find out more, reach out to us online, ltw dot org, the website, ltw dot org, or give us a call. We're at eight hundred three three seven. Five three two three, And we would love to hear from you. You can reach us by mail as well. Send us your prayer request. Send a gift to the ministry. We're at Leading the Way, Post Office Box 20100, Atlanta, Georgia, 30325. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Connect with us through our YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, and all of our social media networks. Learn more at ltw.org.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn